Hey, welcome to another exciting edition of the Give Me Liberty podcast. I have an exciting conversation with former Kentucky Governor Matt Bevan when it comes to economics, fiscal policy, border security, uh, uh, national security. What is Xi Jinping doing? All of this and more. Also, we discuss about the future generation right here at Liberty University. You don't want to miss it. Buckle up. The Give Me Liberty podcast starts now. Hey, welcome to the Give Me Liberty podcast for the Standing for Freedom Center right here at Liberty University. And we get exciting guests all the time, people who come into town to Lynchburg, Virginia. At the CEO Summit, I am honored. We have a distinguished guest, Governor Matt Bevan, former governor of Kentucky. Welcome to the Give Me Liberty podcast. Thank you. You get exciting guests and then you get people like me. But I'm honored to be here with you and look forward to having a conversation. Yeah, I'm, I'm super excited. From the stage... Uh, you talked quite a bit about fiscal economic policy on the macro level, how it uh, relates to not only the United States, but national security, global security. Uh, you know, 40% of the world's GDP is made up by China and the United States. Correct. Yeah. So when, when you think about the fact that we're over $30 trillion in debt, national GDP is somewhere in the 20s. I don't know how, exactly how they score that. But we are definitely headed over the fiscal cliff, or we're probably well beyond, we're falling over it. Um, so much of what you dealt with in leadership as governor was the, that very thing, these, the, the insolvency of government promises, right, that uh, go in the hundreds of trillions uh, that are outstanding. What does it mean for the next generation. That's what I'm thinking about all the time here at Liberty for the Gen Z generation. What are they faced with? What is their future? Boy, we could have a long conversation. In short measure, we have gone over the cliff. We're, we're hanging on to a rope that's been woven together by quantitatively eased monies, mm. which are fake. It's fake money. Because we are the world's reserve currency, we have the luxury of being able to print money from whole cloth, in this case, you know, cloth-infused paper, but we literally print it and impute value into it that the world, having no other better alternative as a reserve currency, also places value in. And so we get to spend it in today's day and age as if there is real value to it, but there is not. It is not backed by anything. There is no amount of reserve of any true commodity that would support it. As you made note of, our national debt literally now does exceed our wealth production or our GDP, gross domestic product, as a nation in any given year. It is not financially possible. Quite literally, there is no actuarially designable way that anyone has the stomach for, which mm. would include a level of austerity that literally would result in death and destruction, to be able to pay back our debt. No American is going to say, listen, take 100% of the wealth I produce for the next one, two, three years to pay back debt incurred by people that preceded me. I'll have no heat, no food, no infrastructure, no education for my children. No one's going to say that, mm. nor should they. But the reality is, this is where we are. We now have more debt than we will be able to pay off. So for the next generation, who is going to pay it off? It's not going to be paid off, which means there are going to be dramatic changes. When or how, that is going to be determined by a variety of things. But the thing I would encourage young people, and literally for anybody watching this, as uh, is, is, is harsh as this might sound, know what you believe. Know why you believe it. 
be able to be an apologist for that, to defend your faith, your economic thought process, but also very critically know how to feed yourself. Have access to arable land. Know where you're going to be able to get potable water. Understand how to defend yourself. It sounds harsh and, and conspiratorial to talk in this way, but this is the history of the world. Quite literally, there are cycles where nations rise and fall. And what's interesting, if you look at the history of the world, yes, there has never been a nation's border. Well, let me back up. Nation's borders do move because of war. Yes, Capital cities move because of war. Languages that people speak change because of war. What has never been destroyed by war in the history of the world is a culture. Mm. Cultures and civilizations from the dawn of man and of recorded time have crumbled from within. Mm -hmm. They fall as a result of a crumbling from within. And the greatest threat that our nation faces, in addition to the economic discussions we're talking about, is apathy. It is an obliviousness to the fact of this economic reality, and it is a level of apathy that we can continue to dance to this free tune because the piper keeps piping, and nobody wants to face the hard, brutal reality is that we have saddled our children and their children and their children's children with a level of fiscal debt that they will not be able to get out from under. It's truly scary. I mean, that that I think you're right. You hit the point, which is you know, generations get accustomed to certain things. In, in just a very short period of time, most of the world's wealth was created at the beginning of the 20th century. When you think about, or actually the beginning of the uh, the 1800s, right, until now, um, you th think about the growth of the economies around the world, most worldly wealth has been generated in the past 200 years, right, For, since the dawn of time until then, and then from then uh, moving forward. The, we've become accustomed to a certain kind of living and lifestyle, my great-grandmother's generation went through the Great Depression. I knew my great-grandmother. She saved everything. Everything was stored in jars. She stored it. She would save her change. Now that change is worthless. But she would save, She would save. it was like purse money, right? Her change is actually worth something yeah. because that's real copper in those pennies. Yeah, that's right. You know, no, that, that, that actually has more value than the penny itself. Because of the precious yeah. metal. Yeah. No, that's true. But you look back at how they had to live through that. Uh, there was the New Deal, which was a disaster of a public policy, and if it had not been for World War II and the growth that came out from that, the baby boomer generation, um, you know, building schools, hospitals, you name it, they grew their way out. There was a Marshall Plan. Yeah. You look at where we were. We fought a world war. We were in the negative. We grew our way out through a population explosion. But it right now, we're in this fiscal crisis and it's generated by the welfare state it's generated by all these promises post new deal that and who's going to pay for them yeah. and, and with what with what is that going to be paid these promises are easy to make they're harder to fulfill and again at this point think about just one of those one of the most fundamental promises that's been made is social security mm -hmm. when that system was designed as some of these others as well medicare etc when these systems were designed, you had 20 workers for every retiree, 20 people paying into the system. Mm. And over time, as demographics have changed, as we've aged, as a population has produced fewer children, that number went from 20 to 10 to 8 to 7 to 6 to 5 to... We now have 
fewer than three people, maybe down to two or less per retiree in mm. our system that are paying into a system. It's unsustainable. Yeah. It really is. I don't know exactly where it is now, but it's trending to becoming inverted. And you take any pyramid, you invert it, what do you have? You have a wedge. It's going yeah. to wedge itself right into the ground. I mean, we're, it is financially impossible. This is just basic math. It's not that anyone would wish this to be the case. It's not that anybody would want this to be the case. Mm. The reality, it's just fiscal, simple reality. Yes. It is not possible to have two people working, three people working, and paying for one person to be retired who's making as much in retirement as they are pre-tax. Yeah, I mean, incredible. it's just not possible. So you mentioned about potable water. I, I, I think one of the things, the thing that is, is present on everybody's mind is the energy crisis. Yeah. Uh, it's the fact that, um, you know, here we were, uh, we, we, we were actually energy independent just a couple of years ago. We still are. Yes. Don't kid yourselves. Yeah, yeah. yeah. we have the, the capability. Yeah. Um, and we have rich with resources here in the United States. I think the Permian Basin in Texas is the largest uh, oil reserve in, on the face of the planet. So we can ad infinitum, it seemingly, uh, produce our own energy. But you mentioned water in scarcity. Talk a little yeah. bit about that. I mean, you don't have to look beyond the borders of our own nation. Look at the Colorado River. Who would have ever thunk that you could suck that dry? Mm. And we have indeed sucked it dry. I mean, Mexico, which used to be the recipient of this water, doesn't even see a trickle of it anymore. And we continue one of the fastest growing counties in the country. And it's a beautiful place. And this isn't meant to be pejorative in any sense. But Maricopa County in Phoenix, it's in the desert. Yeah. We have millions of people moving to Las Vegas and Phoenix and all these places that are in the mm -hmm. desert. It's not sustainable. And they're using waters, and yes, we're going to become more and more, as we have been, efficient with our respect to how to use water, recycle water, even desalinization is going to continue to be improved upon. But the reality is people cannot live by the millions in the desert without a source of water. They just can't. And we are running out of it in certain regions. We are so blessed in this nation with an abundance of it. But if you look at certain continents and certain subcontinents, you look at India, the southern region of India, Chennai, the most southern part of that country, is literally drying up. There's 1.2 billion people who live in India. There is mass migration that has begun of necessity, is going to continue to increase. As water runs out, there will be movement of people around the world. And there will be wars fought over this because it is the most fundamental ingredient for life. You can't sustain anything, an economy, a military, or anything else, without the ability to live. And the fundamental building block of a healthy life is water, period. Yes. And there is going to be, of necessity, people focused on this like a laser. And we'd be wise as an economy, those of you that are watching this, that would, that would have children that would think about what they want to do with their lives, where they want to focus, anybody who does end up in government, think about this. I will give a small plug for Kentucky. <laughs> yes. Of all the states, this would be something you may not even realize. Of all the states in the United States, the only state that has more moving water, more navigable water, more miles of moving waterways than Kentucky is Alaska. Not a single state in the continental United States has more water. We are blessed in a world of geopolitical instability, and there's a lot of it. North America is perhaps the last bastion of any seeming sense of stability. We've got plenty of issues. But here's North America. What's in the middle of North America? The United States. How blessed we are to be Americans. But what's right in the middle of the United States? Kentucky, with lots of moving water, baby. So we got room.
It's four and a half million people. There's always room, you know, if That's you're willing right. to work. That's Only a good if you pitch. Want to work. That's a good Only pitch. Only if you want to work. <laughs> well, real quick, I do want to address China because you, you did a great job uh, talking about that threat. Um, they are making plans not based on quarterly spreadsheets. They're literally planning the next hundred years, the next thousand years. Yeah. And they are not as rich in resources as we are here in the, in the United States, but they have a centralized planning method, strategy, the Belt and Road Initiative. Yeah. Uh, they are putting money out there, buying up airports and tracts of land and all sorts of other things, mineral rights, you name it, on the continent of Africa and elsewhere around the world. Talk a little bit about China. I mean, China, again, we should be wise about their aspirations. We should be informed. They are an amazing uh, people. I mean, they really are. I mean, there are, there are just different people groups and different nations and different ideologies, different tribal instincts that exist around the world. It's probably unwoke to pretend there's any difference between any people anywhere, but that's just not true. Yes. And the Chinese people are incredibly brilliant, incredibly uh, you know, aspirational, incredibly capable. There have been times in the past, thousands of years ago, where they were the dominant uh, economic powerhouse on the, the planet. There was a reason why the Silk Road back in the day was what it was. That's right. But... What they have now is a very intentional leadership that unfortunately is able to accelerate their vision by suppressing the individual rights of the, of the people themselves. Ultimately, that's going to, to hit a wall. They're hitting it already a little bit. They have, they have so many cities where the numbers of men to women is literally like in some cases 1.7 to 1. Wow. They have, because of the one-child policy yeah. and people's desire to have a male child, the number of women that have been born has been greatly diminished. And now the mindset, even though the government is now incentivizing, even paying in some regions for people to have more children, they're not doing it because they have been basically conditioned to have one child. So the net result of this is they are demographically dying. They have two people dying for every one point some that are being born. They are in trouble. They also don't have, as you said, significant natural resources, some rare earth minerals and certain other things. But truth be told, nothing like we have even in the United States or that exists in Canada or in parts of Europe or in even Africa, for that matter, which is why the Belt and Road sounds so, so benign and so friendly and we'll build you some roads and we'll bring some resources out and we'll take advantage of that. Well, the bottom line is they have to be territorial. They have to be conquesting overtly or covertly of materials and peoples in order to feed what they need to accomplish the long-term game. And that's something for us just to be mindful of. I wouldn't say, and I mean this sincerely, don't be fearful of it. Mm-hmm. Be, be wise as a serpent. Be informed. Be wary. Keep, if, if, if those would consider China an enemy, and I don't necessarily espouse that necessarily, but if, if you think keep your friends close, well, keep your enemies closer. Yeah. You know, whether they're a friend or an enemy, keep them at arm's length uh, and be wise, be yeah. wary, and just know that their intentions are not ours. They're Final, looking out for themselves. Very well said. And, and, and sort of a kind of wrapping all of this up, I, I know that for you, your faith has guided you in leadership, in business, uh, in all your life experiences. Um, you are a born-again Christian. Um, you, you talk publicly about that. You've been very outspoken. When I think about 
what America needs right now. I mean, you you think about um, we need we need a new economic renaissance, but I also think that we need revival and reformation. We yeah. have to rediscover the principles that made America great. You think about what was so apparent uh, in 1776 was brought largely by the great awakenings that took place in this country from the pulpit. The pulpit formed the conscience of the nation. It wasn't necessarily John Locke. It wasn't necessarily Scottish philosophers. It was Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Um, When you look out and you see the challenge, this generation, in public schools, I, I think you even identified this before DeSantis and other people, the, at the alarm of, of, of the kind of indoctrination that's happening in public schools, people being put in, children being put in harm's way, um, you were saying this before anyone else. Uh, I just want to talk just a little bit about what this country needs from your vantage point as a leader. Sure. I mean, going back to what you said at the outset, again, I've always been very unapologetic about my faith. I don't, you know, I look at it this way. I don't need to wear it on my sleeve, but I will never apologize for it. I, it, I it, As a political person, when I ran for office, I was going to answer to the ballot box. But as certainly as I was going to answer to the ballot box on any given election day, I am 100% confident I'm going to stand before my creator someday. And I'm, truth be told... <laughs> more interested in what I hear that day than what I hear as a result of an election. Yeah. So not that elections don't matter, they do, but in the continuum of eternity, this is a speck of, this is a tiny blink of an eye. Mm. And so what I would say is to parents that are out there, to students, to people that are watching this, to business leaders, what do you believe mm. and why do you believe it? And are you an apologist for what you believe? Do you believe that there is an eternal consequence to actions that you take? Do you believe that there will be a higher order of authority than just that which exists on planet Earth today? And if you do, what are you doing about it? And how are you conducting yourself? And the key is, is not to just wait, you know, for the second coming or just wait till things happen or just figure God's got it covered. If you read in Exodus, in Exodus uh, 14, I believe it is, in the, in the, in, in, in the, the, the Israelites are coming out of Egypt. Right. And they're crying out to God. They're, they're coming. They're coming to get us. And here we're up against the Red Sea. We're, we're hosed. We're in trouble. And they're all crying out for relief. And God, in verses 15 and 16, I believe it is, chastises Moses. You don't often think of that. He chastised him and said, don't just call out to me for help. He said, do something. I'm calling you to take action. And this is what I would encourage people to do today. Students, their parents, you know, the, the people who are raising children, take action. You know, it isn't a function of just waiting to get bailed out. You talked about our founders. You talk about the 1776, you had guys like Thomas Paine taking pen to paper and mm-hmm. writing, these are the times that try men's souls. These are the times. Those were, these are. But he said it's going to be the summer soldiers and the sunshine patriots, those people who are going to shirk their responsibility. They're going to fade away. And if they do, we're in trouble. It's the few true patriots. And you can define that any way you want, but there is an equal demand for that today. We've got to have men and women with the intestinal fortitude to know what they believe and are willing to defend it. How badly do you want a better America? If you want a better America for your children, for yourself, for your business, how badly do you want it? And the idea that you just sit back passively and wait, when you think what Paul wrote to Timothy, Mm. he encouraged him, don't have a spirit of timidity. Mm. Don't be a little weenie. 
step up. He said he encouraged, what, what did he encourage him to do though? He told him to be disciplined. What does that mean? It means to be prepared, be informed, be knowledgeable. He also told him to do things with what? To be bold, to be disciplined, and what? To do it with love. And that's easier said than done. Speaking even to myself, to any business leader, sometimes I'm not the most patient person. But if you do things with a level of intensity and purposeness, boldly, non-timidly, you do it with discipline, intention, and you do it with the ability to reach out to people in love, understanding they're not where you are necessarily, to find a way to bridge that gap, then you can change the world. The final thing I'll say is this. As long as we're riffing on biblical themes that frankly transcend that in a matter in today's day and age more than ever for people who aren't even people of faith. There's probably nobody watching this that hasn't heard some mention of the watchman on the wall. It's transcended, but it originates in Ezekiel as there's a command given to the watchmen that are on the walls of the city. And it is incumbent upon them if they see things coming and they see danger and they see whether it's economic in nature or whatever the case might be, that it is incumbent upon the watchman to sound the alarm. And if the watchman does not sound the alarm, it's on the watchman. The watchman is going to be held to account. The watchman's not responsible for how people react to that alarm. But the watchman is going to be absolutely held responsible if they don't sound the alarm. And so I would encourage people to watching this to, to sound the alarm, to know what you believe and call people to action. It's as simple as that. We have that responsibility. We're going to answer for it someday. That's my thought. Amen. Wow. I don't think Truer words have been spoken. Thank you so much, Governor, for joining us. You're welcome. Uh, for the Give Me Liberty podcast. And folks, stick around for final thoughts. Hey, thank you for joining the Give Me Liberty podcast. Please like and subscribe and share with a friend. What a privilege and honor it was to sit down with Kentucky Governor Matt Bevan, my former boss, to talk about all those things that pertain to our current situation and future fiscal economic, and national security policies. It's very important to recognize that we all have a stewardship and a responsibility. Governments have over leveraged themselves. They've been largely irresponsible because they've bet not on the long-term, but on the short-term immediacy of the present. They have sacrificed our future and the future of our children and our children's children and our children's children's children. There is a biblical principle in all of this, that at the end of the day, a debtor is slave to the lender. And when it comes to our national debt, we are in a fiscal crisis. So what are you supposed to do in these times? Dig in, be smart, be responsible, own what it is that you drive and the house that you live in, prepare for that future Be disciplined in the present. It does pay off dividends long-term. Until next time, God bless you.